Welcome to Food on the Move, Movers and Shakers podcast, a podcast that highlights our passion for making an impact in our communities on issues surrounding food insecurity. It's all about the reason we, as an organization, do what we do, and the many incredible people using their time and talent to challenge the status quo in order to make the world better than they found it. We call them Movers and Shakers. Everybody, welcome to the Movers and Shakers podcast. It's your boy, Ramal, the Hometown Heat. This is Taylor Hansen, Kevin Harper, and Danielle Stoltz. We are so excited you're here on the Movers and Shakers podcast. We have an amazing guest. Yeah, we do. Um, we mm-hmm. have Tanya Sawyer, who is from, well, actually, one of the Food on the Move partners. Um, she is the leader, the Aquaponics Source is the leader in, in aquaponics um, training and providing systems to, to groups across the country. Kevin, tell us a little bit more about what we're going to hear from Tanya. Uh, uh, man, Tanya and her husband, JD, are really movers and shakers, have done amazing things from growing a business that's the leading aquaponics business in the nation, providing just systems to everybody, schools, independent farmers, larger farmers. But not only that, they have a heart for community. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes her such a special guest today because she really has a heart to just reach out to the community and help people have access to fresh produce in a unique way by using systems like Aquaponics Source uh, creates to allow people to really grow their own food and be able to develop something really spectacular. So we're, gonna, we're in for a really good treat because she's going to challenge us in some ways that yeah. are a little different than any other guests before us. And if you don't know about aquaponics before the podcast, yes. you're going to know all about it after this episode yeah, and this absolutely. interview. And you're going to learn to love fish poop. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. For I sure. already do. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about this story is the fact that she's a bridge builder to mm-hmm. help the community yeah. to eat healthier. And she pulled the community together to make that happen. Yeah. If they were in Tulsa, they would be a partner of us every single yeah. month because she's the kind of person they they don't they just give things away. Yeah, like here's the knowledge base. Here you go, go make a difference, yeah. and that's what I really love about the heart that she has, as well as her husband JD. For sure, let's kick it off. Yep, let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So thrilled to have a very special guest um, this week on the Movers and Shakers podcast. And um, we not only have somebody that is a mover and shaker is leading in in her field. But today we're talking to an innovator that is directly connected to our vision for transforming growing foods through innovative indoor systems like aquaponics. And just really thrilled uh, to have Tanya Sawyer here from Aquaponics Source. Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you here. And and Tanya, it's it's special to to get to talk to you on our podcast. I've learned a lot from you from the last year, just when we first started talking. Uh, I want to go back to let our listeners understand just what was it that got you into the whole idea of aquaponics and how did that become such a passion for you to lead into what you're doing now? Very good question because uh, when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a business person all my life. And uh, I was in IT. My husband was in IT. We did technology work. Um, we, I was a business consultant, traveled all over, and I had no idea what aquaponics was. I grew up uh, raising animals. We had chickens and goats, and we milked them and had eggs, meat, and all that. It was great. But we hated it because we felt like the chores were too much, and we were poor because we didn't buy our food at the grocery store. But it was a very, very important learning experience for me. When our twins were born, we had a three-year-old. We decided that I was going to not be on the road so much. It's not very easy to raise kids uh, running around. I'm sure, Taylor, you understand that. because I <laughs> Yes, know. all too well. All too well. <laughs> so uh, my husband got laid off right after our twins were born, and we decided that doing something sustainable, working together again, and really doing something that would be impactful was our next phase of our career. 
so we had chickens and and we decided like backyard farming that sounded cool and i did some research and we found out that uh, aquaponics was a thing we never heard of it before but we heard that there was a place in grow house that was going to do a farm inside an old building they were going to renovate and we got fired up and six months later we were there building aquaponics for the community Wow. That's amazing. Well, the the confidence there. Look, back up from this for a second. So you you have, um, you said you have an IT background. Your husband had an IT background. You think about business. So you learned about the idea of being in business. Did you did you think of yourself as an entrepreneur? Or did you think, I want to I get the corner office job? Or, or, or do you separate either one of those things? Because I think business comes in lots of forms. Absolutely. I mean, the good thing is, is that my husband and I had both climbed our corporate ladder we'll call it we had met working together and working together is something we're passionate about because we are like a left hand right hand left brain right right brain and the idea of doing something sustainable impactful growing food helping our community we were at a place where we could provide for our family but we know there were a lot of people especially in the recession in 2008 who couldn't provide for their family fresh quality foods. So once we learned about it, we're not people that can kind of just sit back. We knew we needed to connect with the community. And that's why we uh, built the collaboration with Grow House. They had the space. We had the excitement to drive us for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was an incubator of all things kind of wonderful and magical and crazy and risk high risk (laughs) yeah (laughs) but we did it we grew lots of fruit the community benefited from it we started teaching people how to do this and then we started growing salads growing lines growing communities and growing more farmers so a question so i mean from the education that you guys have and connecting community I, i would like to talk more about that bridge that you guys have built what was the, the thought behind the philosophy and also the strategy with connecting with community with the technology and the idea that you had? Yeah, so it was an interesting one. The because the thing was, like you all, Grow House had a connection to the community. The difficulty was making the connection fit perfectly because for a lot of the people in that community, uh, salads weren't the first thing they would choose to mm-hmm. eat or have available to them. And so it was about creating this interaction, this dialogue that was really important to making it work. It wasn't just about growing food. We had to get the food into the hands of people who wanted it and needed it. So Grow House, help uh, catch us up on Grow House and what their their structure was. They're a nonprofit that was in and in Denver, correct? It was in in the yep. urban. It was in, within kind of an urban area. Would it was it a food desert? An area that wouldn't have had grocery stores. It is a food desert. And so they they yep. had that connection. It's actually the most polluted zip code in Colorado. Wow! Oh wow! And so was it difficult to get people to catch on to the idea of eating salad? And and how did you you know encourage people to try? Hey, this is something really good. Yeah, so there were a lot of partners, Filmatorius, that were part of the Grow House uh, system of community connection. 
And I would love to think that um, I can put all the weight on my shoulders, but there were so many beautiful, wonderful, caring people who made all of that possible. Mm -hmm. Not one person is capable of doing all those amazing things. And like you have an amazing team. I've watched many of your videos. It's about that team dynamic, mm -hmm. bringing all these people together and doing these really impactful things. Yeah. So timeline-wise, you're going back more than a decade to when you guys were working with Grow House. And I, you know, we like to focus not just on the successes, but on the challenges. Because I know one of the things you guys learned in, in how you bridged into being aquaponic source and providing the, the backbone to, to launch aquaponic systems and other people growing is you also saw how challenging it was you know, that community resource, that community connection is, is, is sort of the heartbeat, right? It's a driver for so many, certainly for us. But you also have that practical side of, okay, what's it look like to run these systems well and then to ultimately uh, to sort of watch something scale? Tell us a little bit about kind of the, the wins and some of the challenges you guys face because, I mean, challenges are an opportunity to learn and grow. I mean, oftentimes we learn yeah. more from what we, what we get through than, than just the, wow, that worked. Oh my gosh, that's kind of a short book. It worked, you know? So yeah. maybe just tell us a little bit about that and, you know, without getting too down in, in the weeds. I know, that, I know that that was a, you know, a lot of, like you said, many people trying to work together. Yeah, so it's a valuable point. I mean, we wanted to uh, make sure that we could teach other people what we were doing, but we didn't have all the answers. So it wasn't right. about telling people that we were perfect or all knowledgeable. It was about sharing the pros and cons, the wins and the, you know, hardships. Um, and we were a very, very open book about all of that. In 2015, one of our friends who owned the aquaponics source, Sylvia Bernstein, uh, had come to us and said they were looking to retire and would we be interested in buying the business. And it's kind of funny because we were there to buy a fish tank, a, a small tank for the farm to rearrange some plumbing. And she said, do you want to buy the business? I'm like, I sent a check for $250 for this tank. I don't want to buy your business. That's <laughs> a bit of an upgrade. That's an upsell right there. What we realized was by purchasing that side of the business, where she had a website and she was connecting to home hobbyists and schools and universities, was that our impact could grow beyond the walls of the greenhouse and community we were working. And that was very valuable to us because, you know, early on we put an S on the end of Flourish Farms because we wanted many of these in many locations. So it is hard to run a farm. Some of those hardships can be overcome by putting a farm in a building, right? You mm -hmm. can avoid being obliterated by hail or uh, you can more closely manage your water resources or other things to grow vertically in a, in a smaller space. And so some of the engineering that's been done, some of the, the development that's been done has been trying to overcome the let's grow in the dirt, let's grow in the season only, you know, and try to work with Mother Nature, but to right. overcome some of those day-to-day -day challenges. So that may have been more broad brush than you were thinking, but no, no, no. There's mm. no wrong answer. There's only just seeking that that uh, you know, hearing your perspective um, with so many things that we could touch on. Um, I'm curious, you know, 
the listener that's checking out this podcast, you know, we obviously have a passion for food. We continue to come back to that. But we know that many people aren't as informed about what aquaponics really are and also just how much that's yeah. beginning to grow. Um, just talk to us about and share with the, the listener, what is aquaponics? How, how does it work? And, and why is it such a powerful tool potentially? I mean, obviously for community building, but really just for the future of food. Yeah, so now you can really get me talking. Yeah, let's go, let's go. <laughs> so first off, when we say aquaponics, a lot of people surprisingly react or respond with, oh, I know what that is, it grows marijuana. <laughs> and I but say, that is a well, way. no. We get that too. <laughs> In places, hydroponics is commonly used to grow that sort of product. Mm -hmm. Fine for those things. Medicine is medicine. Plants are plants. You know, it, it's a functional thing. Aqua in aquaponics is aquaculture. It's basically a controlled environment for raising aquatic life. And we happen to choose edible aquatic life such as tilapia, catfish, bass, bluegill, perch, trout, whatever fish is appropriate to the um, tank temperatures and other criteria that make them happy to live in. We're never going to put fish into a dangerous living situation just for our own good. Um, but we do want to grow a lot of fish because um, fish is actually one of the fastest growing agriculture methods. And from a positive beneficial state, it is actually the protein that consumes the least natural resources to produce. Mm. So compared to chickens, pigs, uh, sheep, cattle, etc. Fish are the most efficient converter of food inputs into a food output to consume by humans. Right, interesting. Gosh. Other than bugs, <laughs> should be eating bugs. Yeah, but we're not going there. And so that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> wow. we can, the, yeah, the bug podcast will be next. But, <laughs> but the so so paint the picture. I'm visual. I always picture things. You have fish, and you're raising fish, and you have this great protein source. It, it's, it has to be organic because the fish have to live. And interestingly, that that uh, that fish tank produces fuel for food, right? So the system is all connected. Yep. So the water we keep the fish in uh, tanks. And we very specifically size those tanks and size filtration, and this is a key part of it, to ensure the highest quality water conditions for those fish to live in. And so a lot of people will say, well, look, I'd rather fish in the wild because the fish in the wild are better in some sort of way. Um, but the truth of it is we don't catch a cow in the wild sure. or a chicken in sure. the wild. Sure. Um, and fish in the wild tend to succumb to the water quality in that place. So if there's a lot of agriculture runoff, fracking, um, mm. or poor water quality conditions, what you're fishing for may not be of better quality. It could be susceptible to high mercury or PCBs or heavy metals or whatever's in their water supply. So we can get very specific about the water quality for our fish. So talk about the quality of the produce that you that you can create through an aquaponic system. Right. So the next stage, then we have our fish tanks and filtration, removing those fish solids. But through that filtration, we produce a fertilizer source that is never-ending that goes to those plants, and it's a very organic, although USDA would give you very specific guidelines for how to use that word, 
it's a very natural supply of fertilizer for those plants. And the water circulates through the root system. So unlike a field crop out in the wild, we'll say again, where there are things like deer running through or rabbits chewing on your crop or water from a hog farm up the way being flooded into that area where there are susceptibilities for concerns related to that. And they have to use chemical pesticides and fertilizers. Everything grown in our buildings would have this natural fertilizer supply. You can't use any chemicals because it's dangerous to the fish and plants. The plants grow faster and more abundantly because they're not fighting the elements. They have the water and the nutrients and the oxygen. And so they have a beautiful, perfect life. And therefore, they grow much more vigorously and abundantly. And because of the fact that they can be picked and delivered to the customer very, very rapidly, we can cut down on things like packaging and refrigeration uh, and long-distance transportation, which tends to move products 1,000-plus miles to their customer all along losing the nutrient quality of those plants over that time. So I can't tell you that there's any uh, any <laughs> negatives, but it's all very good well, stuff. You, you just touched on something, you know, of course, which is how we've met and why we're connected to you. Food on the Move's next program is a program that we've that's been built on education of over many years now of seeking the answer for how to combat food deserts, which means getting grocery stores back, getting produce available, and. The epiphany we had in working with the community was one of the greatest challenges that we had to getting produce available to people was to try and shorten the distance that food traveled. Because when food gets on a truck, one, it they pick it too early, so it's not as nutrient-rich. Mm-hmm. It's oftentimes uh, sprayed with chemicals in order so that when it shows up at the store, it looks good. And we're paying for fuel prices to put it on a truck and ship it, oftentimes traveling thousands of miles. And when, when you're working with a nonprofit that's trying to feed people and you're looking at a local farm that you see half their produce never reaches anyone because they only have two or three farm hands and they go to their, far, they go to their farmer's market mm-hmm. and and they, they don't have, even have the time, um, let alone the capacity, uh, to, to get it to, to people. You go, wow, there's so much that could be done here. So you're, that, that distance for the food is a massive, massive um, you know, part of the conversation that we're having and why it's so cool. You guys have become experts in, in um, really putting this powerful technology in the hands of more future farmers um, to, to potentially help combat the issues we're seeing in our community, like in Tulsa. Yeah. Um, so I'll just tell you one, we're already fans. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. um, Thanks. But, you know, I, you did skim over something that people might have missed. Fish poop is fueling the produce. <laughs> Good for her. Um, for the, I love fish poop. <laughs> we love fish poop. We need a t-shirt that says that. Can we make it on the move? We you love fish poop. We have a t-shirt that says that. Okay. Oh, perfect. Kevin saw yeah, me wear it. I did. It. Wow. 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 Everybody's yeah. like, I don't understand. Yeah, we love fish poop. And, but what's what's so cool about this, you know, we, we often find ourselves in the cross-section between education and innovation. And in fact, the three pillars of access, innovation, and education are the things that Food in the Move talks about. You guys are touching on, as well on all three of those things. You started with access, working with Grow House, with reaching people. You you are passionate about education. I think we want to talk about that. And ultimately, it's, it's, it is innovative. This, the whole nature of aquaponics is an innovative um, space. And I, I'm sure we'll continue to be pushing the envelope of innovation. Um, tell us a little bit about 
just the education side of things, because I know you guys do a great deal um, with the conference you founded to not only connecting growers, but helping to, to foster more education on this subject. Yeah, so this is absolutely my passion is to educate. Um, I was a corporate trainer for years, love the aspects of bringing information to people in very accessible ways. So meeting them at where they're at for their level of knowledge. So backyard farmers, backyard hobbyists, taking control of their own food in their home, I think is our number one starting point because when we're going to solve some of those food security mechanisms, having a garden, you know, having a small aquaponics setup or something that they can scale, you know, communicating with the local farmers, like all these things are really impactful on an individual level. The next level I think that is most amazing is connecting with kids because they are our future. Mm -hmm. No matter how we slice it, inspiring children are inspiring our next wave of innovators, business owners, farmers, developers of all these technologies. And as we know, a lot of the farms of traditional styles are changing rapidly because of environmental conditions. But it's going to be the kids now who get excited about this and see opportunities and make it better and continue to innovate. So that's very, very important. And, and looking at farming and how, you know, it's really transitioned from the traditional gardening in the rural areas, have you guys reached the rural community? So then... I think to answer that, I couldn't tell you that aquaponics is going to eliminate traditional farming sure, because sure. it's not. Sure, sure. Um, however, a lot of traditional farmers are being squeezed by the painful aspects of drought conditions, the cost of fuel inputs, the cost of fertilizer. I mean, fertilizer skyrockets because it is very, very energy consuming to produce uh, traditional fertilizers. Uh, that are based on nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and other things. They're mined resources. So trying to help them understand that there are alternatives and that they could increase their production capacities by adding an aquaponic farm, potentially a greenhouse, in their footprint. Mm. Um, we just finished a job in Texas last week at a large poultry farm. And she was looking to add aquaponics as an element to her farm environment because it was another income stream, two income streams with the fish and the produce. As well, it was using her water more efficiently yeah. than outside uh, field crop production. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned something, um, you know, Ramal's talking about that connection to rural versus urban. And I think it's a really important part of this conversation because you know, one of the things that we're seeing is there is a huge amount of education as a whole on the subject of agriculture. People have a particular picture, the picture of the guy with the pitchfork and the overalls and standing out in the, you know. Right. And then, in, but in fact, that farmer has been very much at risk of even surviving for the last half century because of the growth in corporate farming and because of the processes. And and one of the things we try and do is, is not demonize one group like, that's the bad guy, go get him. Yeah. But it's all these layers of things. And and so I, I would say I, we've seen through conversations that it's exactly the opposite, that it's re going to replace, but it, it really is designed hopefully to augment 
and hopefully to keep generations of people that have an investment in agriculture in the agriculture field. Because without some innovation, um, you know, I think we all have the, the risk that everything that we eat is going to go through a large corporate model that is, you know, that doesn't have that community element. And hopefully, our, our hope is that the launch of those midsize and, and smaller farms and, and community-owned farms, that technologies like aquaponics, hydroponics, and that connection to local, to close food um, yep. is something that really helps keep agriculture alive and, and keep us close to um, more people being involved in agriculture. I mean, if would that you think that's a pipe dream, or do you see do you see that playing out? Because you deal with this, you're working with so many different folks. I would agree completely. I mean, we've had the opportunity to help start up multitude of farms across the U.S. that are actually more urban than they are rural. Um, a lot of people that have a you know an acre or something, and they start this up on their property. Uh, and they wouldn't have been farmers per se, but they decided that aquaponics was approachable on a more personalized but scalable level. We started in the inner city. I mean, Grow House was located at a place that it was in the heart of the city. The railroad tracks, the oil refinery, the stock show complex. We were five miles from downtown. And our second farm there, Mental Health Center, is out on a piece of property that had been basically bulldozed that was an old strip mall complex, which now is a one-acre outdoor farm and 5,000-square-foot greenhouse. So aquaponics lends itself very well to creating food in a place that normally you wouldn't be growing anything. On a rooftop, right. <laughs> like Gotham Greens has done with their hydroponics or, you know, around the U.S., where they literally take a rooftop of a bowling alley, for example— and slap a greenhouse up there, and now you've got food production. Amazing. And large-scale food production. Um, some of these vertical farms that are putting multi-layer, you know, every 18 inches is another layer of production. And that is so important because putting it closer to the consumer, as we've been talking about localizing, in the future, there may not be good ways to get food transported long distances. It just may be too costly from an oil and gas and carbon emission standpoint to make that practical. So keeping some of that production close makes sense. It's more practical to grow products in the ground that need the the sun and the and the soil, potatoes, for example, or corn or soybeans or carrots or whatever. Those are practical in the soil. They're not practical in aquaponics, so leave the soil for things that should only be grown in the soil and put aquaponics in a small footprint on concrete in the middle of a city, you know, and that's where aquaponics really shines. Kevin, you were mentioning a stat today. We had a great event with one of our partners today, and you were mentioning this stat, which is the, the reality of what we're up against with food shortages. Um, share that stat with the listeners, because... Yes. Because so, it's kind of part of this uh, dialogue oh, yeah. as well. I think it's super fascinating and could be kind of a little scary, yeah. but also if you think about what we're doing together, it's exciting. Well, and it kind of leads into what I, the next question I want to ask Tony anyway. So we know that by 2050, we're going to have a global food crisis and because we're going to have 60% more mouths to feed and just because of sure you know, urbanization and the soil quality and climate change, Growing outdoor farming is really going to be a difficult way to actually sustain the kind of food we need. 
So we also know that aquaponics is going to be a key part of that solution. And what they're saying now is that actually North America is probably going to lead, especially the United States, will be leading the world in aquaponics development. Well, what our listeners don't know is we're actually talking to one of the nation's leaders in aquaponics, the aquaponics <laughs> source. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they are amazing. And so tell us some of the fun things you guys are doing because you're innovative. And you know, we're working with Rob right now who's on your team. Shout out to Rob. He's amazing. Uh, and just giving some creative ideas on, on the systems he's designed for us. But what are some of the things you guys are doing knowing that, hey, we're going to, you, you're a solution or part of the solution for that food crisis coming you know, what are some things that you guys are, are seeing from your side of it that you can just continue to innovate to make aquaponics a more sustainable resource for food production? Yeah, and those are really good numbers. And we've seen something similar. And as business people, we think of where are we on this curve? You know, are we climbing? Are we descending? Are we at the top plateau? And we really feel like you're saying that we're climbing. I mean, there's going to be more and more of these as the need for localized food, food security, um, quality of food, reduction of um, uh, inputs, resource, natural resource consumption, reduction of carbon emissions, like all those things are really, really important. And aquaponics does a lot of that, those things. From an innovation standpoint, because we have farmed ourselves for, for 13 plus years, because we work with all of our farmers very closely, and because we have some phenomenal vendors who are also on the cutting edge of innovating, there are really good quality filters and pumps and plumbing components. And, you know, Rob and JD and Mike and John, all our team members, are really constantly trying to evolve our product to ensure that we can make it more energy efficient, that we can do the work more effectively with our team, uh, you know, and that we can produce better quality fish and better quality food. And it's a feedback loop. So we hear from our vendors how to innovate. We hear from our customers how to innovate. We talk to our association and, and community members. And all of it is feedback that we take in to try to make this better and better and better. I love that we're talking about just the future of farming and that you have a passion about teaching the future of our, you know, our, our future, we just kids. And so tell us how you're getting people that are in schools, kids yeah. that, you know, are thinking about everything else about sports and, you know, what entertainment and how you're getting them excited about urban farming. Yeah. So one of the things that actually is going on with a lot of schools and several, um, several professors and universities knowing that students will be more engaged in science and STEM curriculum if they learn about it early on and they get excited about it early on. We work with those science uh, and engineering teachers at the university level or high school level, and many of them have found grant opportunities so that they can put uh, small, say a 10 gallon aquarium size, all the way up to maybe a, a 90 or 150 gallon system in a classroom. And the kids take care of the fish and they grow the plants and they see what works and they manage the pests and they eat the food and they, you know, are aware when the fish dies, what that means. And they get to be the farmer. And in, in some cases, some of these career tech schools actually take this a step further and work on how the kids make a business plan out of it and how they sell their food. And so they 
they kind of get the feel of what it's like from a small scale, but they can apply that. And it goes into nutrition. And once they get excited about eating healthy, then they're teaching their families mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. eating healthy and yeah. why that's important. Yeah. Ramal sees and that so every week. And so it just week. is a compounding, yeah. like a ripple in a in a fish pond. It just kind of <laughs> keeps compounding out. I, I feel like you just described aspects of what Food in the Move is yeah. doing with our agro program. I mean, which you just you, what you outlined is absolutely true. When you've sure. got to capture hearts and minds together, in in that spirit of excitement and tangibility. Um, but, you know, talking about the agriculture program we have at a school called Monroe here uh, in Tulsa, we've seen the light bulb go yeah. off. Like people have that aha. And then also they feel so empowered by the fact that this isn't just this isn't just numbers. This is something they can then feel and touch and eat yeah. and they can see themselves. Maybe it's just their family being impacted or maybe it is a career path. I mean, do you want to talk yep. about uh, Milton? And I mean, of course. <laughs> sure. Ramal's teaching at, uh, each Friday talking about consuming, eating healthy. and Yeah, we, we, we make it a curriculum in class uh, every Friday to where we bring in different types of... So far, we've brought in 40 different fruits and vegetables into the classroom, and we actually make it a theme, you know, like a, a bistro night to where we bring in Italian food and we play Italian music and we nice. have the setup like an Italian restaurant and, you know, just really make it a, a celebration. We ex- we expect the children to eventually grow up and, and explore the world and to uh, be able to plant that seed of, you know, um, a, a, an experience now. You know, it prepares them for the world later on and uh, to actually bring in the fruits and veggies that they'll be able to experience at a young age you know food on the move has the great pleasure and the blessing to be able to to provide that form now and uh you know for the future generation so things like that like you're saying you know planting the season and to be able to innovate now and to uh, create the experience is so important you know for the next generation and, and tony i think yep. when we were in oklahoma city you got to meet milton he's our our starfish uh that's in our school program mm-hmm. and and uh when he first came on uh, you know, we use your educational system, your, your stuff online. I think that's one of the things I, I love that you guys do. You said every platform, you have a really good, robust online training. Uh, and we, we subscribed to it in Milton. And we said, hey, we want you to watch this maybe one a week. He went home and like in a week, he had watched every one, yeah. <laughs> one of those All things. Of and he loved them. And, and I, I, want, I want you to talk about just the dedication that you and JD have uh, to those those classes, and even you know, tell the story when what JD was doing. You told me about when he hurt his back, and so he was still working on these on these classes. Mm. But nothing could stop. It, it's nothing. But I I want our listeners to know the dedication that you guys have to the educational side, because that's what I think one of the things that really make you guys a mover and a shaker in this industry is that it's not just hey here's a system, but we want to educate you. Yeah. So earlier we talked about being an open book, and we will spend countless amount of time trying to explain as succinctly as possible. No one has unlimited time, but how to keep fish alive, you know, how to be successful managing pests, which is my upcoming uh, topic that I have to really uh, uh, work on, how to be financially successful, because, you know, we, we have many farmers that are excited about building it, but if they can't sell their product, then they can't be profitable. And financial sustainability is just important as, you know, environmental sustainability, you know, and so all these pieces kind of fit together. Similarly, that aquaponics is a piece of the puzzle of the whole agriculture puzzle about how we're going to feed ourselves in the future. We're not going to replace things. We're just inserting a key piece that may be, you know, found in other ways. We're putting it here local, you know, giving fish a chance to grow in a, 
you know, tank local. Um, and I miss some of our in-person trainings. We're trying to find ways now that COVID has shifted a bit that we can have more in-person trainings because I miss meeting our future farmers. You know, we've had thousands of people from all over the world come to Grow House to to see this firsthand and work on it. And while we mentioned Grow House a lot, one of our big challenges because of the building that we were in, the city uh, basically uh, shut down the facility because of wind and snow load compliance issues. So we're missing our our <laughs> little... Uh, our baby, you know, where we started all this and where our heart, uh, our heart was. But we have a lot of partner farms around the U.S. and your model is going to be one that we are so excited when that building is is built to yeah. come out and and help train there when we get a chance as well and and meet your your folks. Oh yeah, we definitely want you teaching at the urban farm. I was thinking, hey, you know, we got exactly we have a training room for you. You got all you need, so right. just come on out. I we'll, love it. We'll, we'll put you up. We definitely want to have you out here so people can learn from from the the people who create the system that's going to just change Tulsa. In fact, you know, thinking about that, you all, you guys um, do often bring people together and are looking for training, you know, training, like exactly, not only teaching the, the, the first farmers, but really training people on maximizing it and becoming effective at running large systems. Um, when you're looking ahead, um, you know, how, what are the, what are the greatest challenges that you see um, for for this future farmer, and then again, you've touched on it in pieces. But when somebody says, "I'm going to do it," um, you mentioned it's you. Know, you got to have sustainability. You got to understand. You've got to have a business model. But do you see kind of the number one? This is the thing that causes that that person to not succeed in the endeavor. Because um, you you stop at some point. People have to. They run their own systems. They take it, and and you hope for the best. But you must see some patterns, you know, because we've got people listening. You may have a future farmer listening right now that wants to become an agriculture yeah. specialist. Yeah, so it's a really good question. And over and over, financial viability tends to come to the top. And that's true of any business. Sure. Now, if you talk to any accountant, they'll tell you that you have to be able to support yourself for three to five, maybe more years when you start any new business. And aquaponics is no different. If you were a farmer starting out on your own, you'd have to be able to finance in some way uh, the ability to build the infrastructure and perform operations until you could get generate cash flow. Right. Surprisingly, once you get the hang of growing plants and fish, that part's not too terribly difficult. It's a repeat. <laughs> Because farmers and gardeners tend to plant at a particular window. We plant in the spring, we water and, and nurture and fertilize in the summer, and we harvest in the fall. Well, aquaponics is, and in, in, in like your system and our farms, we're planting thousands of seeds every week, transplanting thousands every week, and harvesting thousands every single week, every week of the year. 52 weeks and just, it's a, it's a movie food machine. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the hard parts from a farmer standpoint there is kind of having the ongoing stamina to do that work day in and day out. It's not a plant at once and, and nurture. It's a every week, repeat, repeat, repeat. So you see burnout in some cases. We have seen some. I mean, I will say that early days, we had some folks that were interning or new to farming and urban farming was sexy and cool. And they Mm. got their, you know, master's degree in urban farming and sustainability. And they thought this was their career path. 
And after harvesting a couple times, they were like, well, that was tiring. What else are we doing? I'm like, no, that's what we're doing every day. Feed the fish, you check water quality, seed, you transplant, you harvest. But we've also had farmers that have, you know, made this work five years, eight years, 10 years and more that wouldn't give it up for anything. They have their flexibility and their freedom and their self-determination and and they know they're making an impact and, and making a difference. When you talk about stamina, I'm just kind of blown away listening to you that this wasn't your original career path. This was something that you and your husband have trained and learned over the years. And so what would you attribute to your success and your determination to keep pushing on even on those tough days and when there is burnout? Yeah, it's a really, that's a really good question. I am ridiculously determined. (laughs) Stubborn, maybe? And honestly, we figured this out after... uh, being corporate people, we had newborn twins and a three-year-old, and somehow we figured it out Mm. and not knowing anything about it. And we would bring our little babies down to the greenhouse and make it work. So I always tell people, if you don't have a challenge of not having any financial stability, having three little babies and launching a business you know nothing about, you're already (laughs) four steps ahead of the game. (laughs) But but it's it's great to hear that because you know the the movers and shakers as a subject is really something that touches on every type of business is people that are choosing to do what they can where they are to to be leaders and frankly to challenge the status quo and i yep. i love that you have done this with family business business and family as much as the culture has tried to separate them you know they've always been joined sure. i mean having the you know the apartment over the shop that's kind of one of america's great traditions and um and we've begun to see there's the corner office and then there's you go home and you go to your home life and and honestly that's less true in over time people have often worked with family um and you and your husband really do have a partnership tell tell us a little bit about um we know you're the brilliant one, but um, no. <laughs> we don't no, to, I'm the cute one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <The brilliant one. laughs> well, hey, that works. Uh, tell us about your partnership because it is, I mean, we, we have we've a couple episodes. We really talked about team building. I'm really fascinated by that and, and building a, a culture. Uh, we've had some great commentary on that. But you guys, when you have a marriage, you already have an identity as a, as a couple. As a, You have a partnership, a, a first business, which is your partnership together as, as, as spouses. But that's working with family, working with a spouse. That's that has its ups and its downs. How do you guys work together? What's the yin and the yang between you? Wow, that's big. Well, <laughs> it's... Sorry about that. Somehow, 27 years ago, when we met, we realized that we just had that connection. You know, I could think of something and he could do the thing that needed to be accomplished and vice versa. He could have a challenge and I could come up with a solution. Um, and the two of us just work hand in hand. We do that in parenting and remodeling our house and building our business and operating our farm. And somehow, some way, we've been very lucky in that. Um, I will say that farming has traditionally been a family function. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Uncle Joe, and you know, Aunt Sue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And almost every farm that we work with that's independently owned, that's not university based does have family members directly involved. And that is a strong, strong bond. And you deal with the bad and the good at the same time. And um, it's a it's an important, very stable, you know, long-term historic kind of way to operate a farm-based business. It's it's critical. Our project is called Food Home in Tulsa. And I, I love that we're talking about family uh, because I think the sense of, you know, why we 
that that name has really come back to creating a place of safety, a place of it's holistic. Um, food hubs, you know, they are a part of the food home. But um, you know, talking about family, uh, why do you think? Why do you think that it works? Um, why does that always work? You know, why has it gone back to agriculture? Obviously, the the, the home. You know, people lived on the farms, but. There is something unique about agriculture and the connection between that multi-generational thing and how important that is. Well, I think it has a, a solid foundation. I mean, when you have a partner and and then you have a group of people that are dedicated, committed, the hard stuff, no matter how hard it is, makes you stronger. Right. I mean, it it doesn't tear you down. It finds ways to encourage you to overcome that hardship and to dig deep and to to work really hard in those things and and laugh about it later because sometimes, <laughs> you know, uh we we joke, sorry if I'll offend anybody, but we've had two in the morning, you know, where there's a clog in the fish tank and there's a you open it and you've got a geyser of fish products <laughs> and you know you're you're sitting there covered in goo at one moment we won't let your farm do that by the way we figured that problem it's out okay. the one thanks, time thanks we're for, not a fan of fish food right thanks <laughs> yes. for solving their problem yes. but you laugh about it later right. you know right. and those difficult times really do bring you close together and mm-hmm. and and make you stronger together. So was that incident the uh, inspiration for your shirt of I love fish poop? Or, or no, did that? <laughs> no, actually that's two other vendors. Okay. I think there's other companies that have come up with I love fish yeah. poop. So when I, when, I, when I think about what we've learned, you know, Donna, you guys started in corporate, then you're like, hey, we're going to do this thing with and, and try something different. And then we're going to buy this business. And now you've grown this thing to you're literally the leader in the, the nation of aquaponic supply and just really just input and design. But along that entire way, somehow you and JD launched this Aquaponics Association. So, so what was the, the driving force behind that to, to see that happen in lieu of everything else that you all had going on? Yeah, so that was in the very early days. So, you know, I'm one of those people that I can't just stop with like, I can start a little business and I can do this one mm-hmm. thing. And so when we decided that, well, this was cool, aquaponics was great, it had to be shared. And to share it meant that we felt an association made sense. And so JD participated very early on. And we said, well, if an association is great, we can make it greater by having a conference. And so we started launching the conference. So this will be the 14th conference, if I remember right, just based on. And then they've been all over the U.S. The last year they were in Oklahoma. This year it's coming up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and and highlighting uh, the work that's being done at Santa Fe Community College. But it was about community. Community, community, I can't really emphasize enough how important it is for us to you know, open open the the information and open our arms and and for other people to really get excited about these concepts and share ideas. And so the conference really helps. There's categories for the educational folks, the teachers, the universities, the researchers. Um, there's a whole track for the commercial farmer that really needs to know how to improve their products or innovate the way their systems operate. And then there's a whole hobbyist section for those folks that are really trying to do this uh, as a you know, fun thing to do and grow their own food. So it's really impactful to see all those people come together and share their stories and 
a lot of love there for folks who've been around for years and a lot of new faces, which mm-hmm. are always excited to get other people fired up about what, what's going on in the aquaponic world. And it's a great conference. We were fortunate to go last year and join the association. And I think after I first talked to you in Denver and started hearing your story, I knew that it was a perfect match for us to work with you because all these things you were saying reminded me back when I first met Taylor and he started sharing his vision for Food on the Move and it was all about partnerships and sharing what you have and collaboration. And and that's what attracted me to to be a part of this organization is because it was founded on partnership and nothing's yep. just proprietary and let's bring it all together. I feel like that's probably what's made some of the great success in your in your industry as well for for the aquaponic sources. It's been more than just being seclusion. It's all about getting the word out. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we could have done the things that we have accomplished at this point. And it's about that team spirit of of accomplishing it because it will make an impact. I mean, I love the projects at the Native American tribal lands or the projects that are going to impact a food desert community, um, impacting people of color, impacting a community that uh, is dealing with homeless issues. There's so many communities out there uh, that are gaining benefits through food, education, um, hands-on activities, and all this kind of stuff that really, really are benefiting. That's the stuff that that brings me back every day. So when you guys were asking, well, what what is it that keeps me going? That's the stuff mm, that keeps me going. Yeah. I love your concept of community. And one of the things we've really learned throughout um, this podcast is how much mentorship is really important and, you know, finding those people that you're learning from. So uh, who has inspired you and helped you along this way? I know you've got your husband, but how are you guys, you know, striving to be better and, and striving to, to really learn even more and who's supporting you throughout this process? So when we have the opportunity, we work with a lot of different universities um, and two folks specifically come to mind. Charlie Schultz, who is uh, at the Community College of Santa Fe. He was one of the originators, at, uh, students at University of Virgin Islands, which is kind of where everybody considers the birthplace of aquaponics to some extent. Um, and Dr. Nick Savidoff, which uh, is in Canada, both of them very smart. And, and there are a lot of others um, that are professors, uh, inspirers. Um, we could, I could name a whole bunch. Um, of course. But yeah. I want to focus on those two because they are very willing to share their knowledge and and what they've learned over the years. Are there any books or documentaries that inspire you as well? That's like uh, you look for that particular author or that type of book or documentaries that that are coming out. Do you have any? Actually, the one that I saw not too long ago that really inspired me was Fabulous Fungi, which is all about the mycelium and and mushroom uh, of the world. It was really fascinating how all of this is connected, kind of like community we've been talking about, how important fungus is for um, growing food, growing trees, carbon sequestering, and all this kind of stuff, Um, and medicinal properties they included in that. It was a really fascinating documentary, actually. Well, awesome. Having those resources to to go deep is also great for everybody that's listening to to go find those. Thinking about... uh, kind of continuing to tell your story. Obviously, we've talked about where you've come from, talked about some of what you know and, and what you're doing today. 
Um, jump forward a little bit. Where where do you see um, ten years from now? You've got you, you guys are providing. You, you guys are joining folks like us that are building. You know, facilities that are going to have a chance to really impact local food systems. Do you do you see? You know, you're, uh, this is where I'd love for this business to go. This is where I'd love to see this industry go. And that there's no perfect answer there. That's just an aspirational question because, of course, we're always, you know, seeking something in our head, some some hope, some dream. Um, you know, the the movers and the shakers of the world, of course, are are often uh, excited about what's around the corner, excited about what they could achieve. T- tell me more about your what you see for the future. Yeah. So probably this started when JD and I first started building the farm. Was we named it Flourish Farms with an S. And I remember taking a bike ride as we were thinking through all the different ideas for how to build our farm the way we wanted it. And the S on the end meant that we would have these in different cities, different communities, retirement centers, so that, uh, you know, older people could have access. My grandmother was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's at the time, but she really missed her garden. And I kept thinking about the therapies that she could enjoy by Mm. being with the plants and having that nutrition and having something impactful to do, interesting, you know, to do. Um, We had an opportunity to work with the prison system and look at opportunities for job skills development and reducing recidivism. And so the jail was one of the projects. And that's Mm. how we got connected to the Mental Health Center of Denver, who decided that food is a first form of medicine. And so we helped them build a farm so that people could be provided food as part of their uh, regiments to improve their health overall. And so everything about the impact that we've considered, the growth of our business, has been finding the ways to connect farms into housing developments, into schools, into business complexes, into hospitals, into yoga studios or exercise and community centers, and finding the place where food fits to that community need um, and really continues to advance this uh, idea of how we see our food and, and how we access our food and grow it. I was thinking about um, you're just describing two two things. One, you mentioned food as medicine, um, and you know, think think about um, you're not feeling well, and you know your your family u- unit, maybe your home, and your mom gives you put some chicken noodle soup in front of you. Think like that's the original, you know, first line of defense, and. And you see how that genuinely, obviously, it has all these qualities. You know, you're putting good food into your system. You got some vegetables, but we have disassociated food from health. I feel like, and we we talk a lot about the power of um, of food as medicine. And there's even programs that we're working with where it's being foods produce is being prescribed for people. Um, it is amazing to see the power of rediscovering that. Like you said, it's our first medicine. Um, what yep. you put in your system. And you guys have seen that firsthand. You talk about not only is it uh, medicinal to, to, to go through the process and have that healing, you know, I'm doing this practice, but to actually, you know, put good things in our system. Do you guys see, do you see that um, transition happening where people are beginning to think again about food as medicine um, more than they did when you started? Because 14 mm. years, that's a long time in this discussion. It's like a lifetime. Yep. Yeah, and people at the grow house and uh, at the urban farm at Dahlia there, again, these people wouldn't normally either A, have access to 
B, have the financial means, or C, have the just personal choice of saying a salad's going to be good for me today, or I will eat fish protein instead of a burger, as an example. And so a lot of work was done with both of those communities, and I can't take credit for the, the engagement of how people began changing that mindset because there were people that were smarter than me, nutritionists, uh, cooks, and, and people that know how to prepare these foods uh, in, a, in a culturally appropriate way and that could speak the language to work directly with those community members to encourage and excite them. But I will say it didn't take much time that uh, people were exercising more. Uh, they had weight loss that was improving their stamina, their health, their diabetes control was better managed, uh, their heart disease, or other medical conditions that they were encountering. MHCD measured all of this. Um, and because of their measurements could really actually correlate the food access that was available in that space with the health benefits that these people were achieving. And I think that's what's so remarkable. I didn't have the way to measure that, but there were doctors that were part of that work that could actually prove out the application of food being that form of medicine and how important it was to, uh, to these folks really getting the nutrition that they were otherwise unable to get at their local convenience store, for example. Which oftentimes is the only thing they have access to, yeah. you know, in communities, yeah, it's grocery tough, stores. But true. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've given us so much information about aquaponics. I know I've learned so much mm -hmm. and it's sparked my interest even more. And for those people that, you know, are listening and are really interested and want to know more about you, about the aquaponic source, about aquaponics in general, where would you direct them? Where can they find more information? Well, our website, theaquaponicsource.com, is a good place to look for a lot of that information. We try to provide as many um, free and accessible resources in video form. Um, we should do a podcast. You guys are brilliant. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, we don't have time. I love a farm or building a farm or doing something like that all the time. We we would love to join you and help facilitate yes. getting this this information out to more and more people. Um, we are in your corner and and very much on the train with you. And really, just so grateful what, from one organization that's out there. I think very much in line with why you all started doing what you're doing. Uh, Huge kudos to what you guys have built. Definitely. And, and we are so excited that, for one, listeners of the podcast, as well as anybody that's connected to Food on the Move and Aquaponic Source, um, to, for everybody to see this stuff unfold because we know firsthand that this is life-changing uh, to give people access to this information. And it's inspiring to see that, that it really does make the impact from empowering people to getting great food in people's bodies that they otherwise might never, um, might never reach because it was grown by a local farm, because it was accessible, because a nonprofit was passionate about sharing it. And um, you, you have won uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, because you, you have been that open and been sharing what you believe in. So uh, kudos to that. Yes. It's super yeah, it's awesome sure. to hear about it. Well, we are so thrilled to partner and we're excited to see Food Home turn into the vision that you all have to reality. It's, it's a phenomenal thing to take something from paper into a physical building with all the beautiful fresh food growing in it. 
And I know we're within a, a year or so time frame of seeing that come to reality. And yeah. it's just, it's so exciting to know that's coming down and you all should be congratulated as well because what you're doing has been amazing all the years that you've been providing food access to folks with your food programs. But this is going to definitely take it up a notch. <laughs> no yeah, question. We are excited. Well, well thank you so much for joining us, Tanya. It's always a pleasure and, and just all the guidance you've given. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're very excited about the future of working with you guys. And give our best to your other half for the great partnership that you guys have uh, been to this team. I will do so. Thank you so much. All right, so I guess we all know why we love fish poop now. <laughs> yes, for sure. I need that T-shirt. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I need that T-shirt so much. Um, what a great conversation. Yeah. I really appreciate you know that on every conversation uh, that we have on this podcast, you're hearing a different mm -hmm. leader, a different mover and shaker, somebody that is using a different perspective in their field, in their town, yeah. in their community to make a difference. Um, for anybody that's interested in aquaponics, truly they are the source, aquaponics source, um, <laughs> that is leading big and small like she talked about with the conference and it is one of the cool things that we don't always have in every episode is she's somebody that you're going to hear more from through the food on the move mission right. because um, we can say firsthand that the systems they're helping install the innovations that they're leading um, are, are going to be used at our projects and so it's going to be fun to see that story unfold yeah. and i'm going to throw this to danielle as a question but what did you think when she said, hey, yeah, I just had twins and a three-year-old and we decided to launch a business? <laughs> like, wow. My brain broke because I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's not yeah, the yeah, ideal yeah. time to do anything, yeah. let alone yeah. start a new business yeah. that you don't know everything about. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. To me, I think that's what really makes them and her a mover and shaker. And I think we can all relate to that because she stepped into something she really knew nothing about and made it successful uh, with the people around so her. So what yeah. made, what makes that person, that, that over and over we hear this, uh, that person that is not the, the expert, but then ultimately does succeed in their path, um, what makes them successful? I, it, it's kind of the, the question we're all asking. It's certainly not some specific talent. It is, it's that determination. Yeah, that it's raw that grit. grit. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. grit. Right there. <laughs> Jinx, show me a coat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's so true because you hear these people that have mm -hmm. determination and no matter what their background is, no matter what they studied, yeah. you know, there isn't just this formula where it's like, you have this, this, and this, and now you can go change the world. It's like, I've got what I've got and I want to do something. I've got a passion for it and I'm going for it. And yeah. I really do believe it's that grit that... That, that is the, the common denominator. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what separates everybody out. And yeah. I think anyone can do it. Yep. But you have to be willing to just yes. pay the dues. Yeah. Grandpa sure. used to say, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Absolutely. Yep. Right. So <laughs> you, sure. you move forward. Yeah. And, um, new tagline. That's <laughs> <laughs> our new hashtag. But that's the whole point of, of being a mover and shaker is just to know that you can start anywhere, in, basically where you are, you know, in your community, in your neighborhood, to know that you can grow. And uh, the biggest part is partnership, you know, having mm -hmm. that grit, but also knowing that it takes a team and having that partnership to be able able to work your idea and solving the puzzle of whatever it is going on within your, within your community and just utilizing your grit, your your patience, I mean, everything about you to know that you can make an impact within the community. So a challenge to the listener as we finish is don't wait. Mm -hmm. Don't think you've got to be the expert. Yeah. And remember that the determination to get to the other side, to get through it, is the only thing that's essential. Um, and mistakes are clearly going to happen. For sure. For are you sure. saying anyone can be a mover and shaker? <laughs> yeah, Anybody can yeah. buy these Ginsu knives now. <laughs> we, should, we should name a podcast called Movers and Shakers. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yep. <laughs> 
For sure, man. So, hey, thank you for listening to our Movers and Shakers podcast and to all of our Movers and Shakers. Keep moving. <laughs>